you do that? That was a third-class maneuver, Navigator. Well, if that was a third-class maneuver, what's a first-class? Observe. Slow down a little? Compliance. Cool. Would you like me to adjust the temperature? No. Welcome to episode 58 of the Film 89 podcast. I'm Sky and tonight I'm joined by my good friend and fellow writer for Film89.co.uk making his long overdue debut on the podcast, Mr. Stephen Saunders. Stephen, welcome finally to Film 89. Thank you very much. It's uh, been a long time coming and it's a great pleasure to be here. Yes, it's great to finally have you on. For our listeners who may not know you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your passion for film and also about your podcast? Sure. So I used to run a podcast uh, called The Film Connection. Those episodes are still available. I would basically take a subject, uh, say a movie star or a movie director, possibly even a genre, and sort of spin it out over five or or more episodes. Much like yourself, I'm a sort of dyed-in-the-wool cinephile. A film has really filled most of the spare time of, uh, of, of my life since I was very young. I, again, rather like yourself, have sort of been brought into podcasting through uh, James Hancock's uh, Wrong Reel podcast as well. So I've got numerous episodes uh, that I've guested on from, well, the most recent one was uh, Monty Python. I've done one on Charlie Chaplin. I did one on, oh, I'm blanking. Sorry, Sky. Uh, Wasn't it Alexander McKendrick? Yes, Alexander McKendrick. And I did a David Lean episode where we dealt with... I guess what you'd call the early sort of British years up to uh, the Catherine Hepburn uh, starring movie Summertime, which really was sort of before uh, the giant epics that everyone's so aware of. Yeah. So, uh, yes, that's kind of my podcasting history. Yeah, and I think that's how we, we you know, we got chatted, wasn't it, from, from your wrong real appearances. And then, you know, one chat led to another. And then all of a sudden you were writing for Film 89. Yes, well, I used to run my own website. So I've sort of been in your shoes in the past and uh, we were sort of doing fairly well but uh, you know life sort of sometimes gets in the way and it just became easier for me to write for somebody else's website so uh, I'm terribly grateful to you for allowing me to uh, express my uh, passion for cinema through the Film 89 website as a writer and it's great to be here uh, talking to you as well on the podcast. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, like since you know myself and the other core for Meeting Nine team started this, you know, the amount of people have come on board, you mm. know, wanting to write with us, wanting to come onto the podcast. It's just as well as like obviously, you know, the more the merrier. Variety, you know, being one of our, you know, what, what I personally feel is one of our strongest points. It also just mm. alleviates the burden of of us having to do every episode ourselves and, and prep, you know, which is very time consuming. You know, we've all got quite chaotic lives, so yeah, you know, we were more than glad to have you on board, Stephen, and you know, we're glad to finally have you on the podcast. And you, you know, you make in your debut a very special one mm. um, as following your recent review on the site uh, of the new documentary Life After the Navigator mm. you've been lucky enough to interview actor Joey Kramer star of one of your favourite films and certainly one of my favourites as a child Flight of the Navigator tell us Stephen what, why is that such a special film for you? I mean part of it's going to be nostalgia I watched it when I was very young and it's a film I've revisited over the years I think that certainly as a youngster it was this sort of wish fulfillment um, element to the narrative about a a boy who gets to pilot his own spaceship which is a very very cool idea uh, very similar to Joe Dante's The Explorers which I know is it your your colleague Steve Amos is yeah. um, a film he's very enamored of so th- that was a big part of it. I think revisiting it over the years, I realized that it actually stands up very, very well. And I've been watching it in preparation for the for the interview and obviously watching a lot of the material around it. And I, the thing that Randall Kleiser, the director, says about the film, which is very true, is it starts off as suspense. It moves to fun and ends in emotion. So it has this wonderfully sus- suspenseful build up as we discover that this one that this uh, this child played by Joey Kramer has uh, been knocked unconscious and he's woken up eight years in the future, but he hasn't aged. So obviously that's very sus- suspenseful. And also that this uh, spaceship has crashed and is in a sort of scientific holding facility and they're trying to get it open. And then these two stories gradually merge. So it's wonderfully sus- suspenseful beginning. And then we have the the sort of fun wish fulfillment element of the film with Joey Kramer, David Scott Freeman flying around in his own spaceship with his sort of best buddy Max, who is the sort of AI element of the ship. And then it becomes about his journey home and, and reconnecting with his parents, which is the emotion element of the film. So, yes, I'm, I'm very nostalgic about it, but um, it is actually, I think, legitimately a good film. It holds up and, you know, it has a great cast. It has the sort of um, perhaps um, unrecognized sci-fi queen in, in uh, Veronica Cartwright, who is also in Alien, who is also in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. And it has Howard Hessman, who was an actor I, I always liked very much. Uh, and it has Paul Rubens doing the voice of uh, Max, uh, the the spaceship. So it's, it's just a wonderful movie. It has uh, CGI puppetry uh, model shots so it's that sort of that sort of sweet spot as well with special effects where it wasn't all cgi but it had elements of cgi that perfectly added uh, to the storytelling without sort of overwhelming it so i just think it's a really good movie and it's a movie that's uh, dear to my heart and it was just tremendous to have the opportunity to talk to uh, that little boy that i that i watched all those years ago in a in a movie that i loved yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for a Disney film, it, it, for me, it was very much Twilight Zone when, you know, David mm. walks into the woods that night and then he returns home to his parents and unbeknownst to him, you know, he, he's been away for eight years. And it, it was the whole th- emotional kind of upheaval of, you know, seeing his family, like Veronica Cartwright uh, just looked like she'd had eight years of hell. Cliff the Young <laughs> looked like he'd aged 15 years. It, it was one of those films that kind of, it was a children's film. But mm-hmm. it, it really kind of tugged at the heartstrings, and and you felt this overwhelming sense of loss that this family would have, mm. you know, as far as they were concerned, they it, it was like a child going missing. They mm. had no idea what happened to him, and and you could see that clearly they'd had a horrendous time for eight years, mm. the unknown of what happened to their son, and then this little boy having to deal with the fact, and and also the parents having to deal with the fact that inexplicably he's turned up and he has an age of day mm. and you know then the film does become a lot more lighter in tone you know a lot more fun for a film from 1986 you know we, we always think of the dawn of cgi as being around the time of you know 1989 with um, james cameron's the abyss but you know the, the cgi in this film you look at it three years before the abyss it, you just forget that cgi was was 
was kind of being tinkered with and and you know improved upon all throughout the 80s and, and the abyss was kind of like a you know a big culmination of all of this hard work put in you know by special effects teams and you know watching segments of the film in preparation because unfortunately you know even though it's a disney film this is not available on any subscription platform certainly that i've got access to over here and you know apart from buying the you know the blu-ray which i unfortunately i didn't have time to do in order to, to prep for this episode it's not mm. on disney plus in the uk because unfortunately disney have only got u.s distribution rights to the film but it's surprising how well you know a lot of those effect shots hold up like the you know the liquid metal steps always blew my mind as a child and then when mm. you know david's pushing down on the steps and, and they're just kind of floating and it's just it's a clever in-camera trick but you know the film was full of that and and it's just overall a really good feel-good family film but also really strong science fiction elements Yes, the the I mean the the spaceship uh, was really the very early days of of CGI and was hugely influential. I think James Cameron uh, really got the idea of the T one thousand and the way that sort of merged and became silver from uh, from Flight of the Navigator. And they used a technique called reflectance mapping, where they would photograph the landscape and then sort of mold it into this this reflective surface so it was it was very innovative and they actually hired a magician to help them do some of the uh in-camera tricks uh and for, for example the steps that you mentioned was it was actually a, a magic trick that used rods sort of going away from the camera that couldn't be seen because they were disguised by the steps. so it was very clever and the actual liquid steps coming down that was motion capture more or less mm. so it just combined everything and it worked very very well so how did you first come to hear about the documentary Life After the Navigator? So I became, in a sort of haphazard way, I became very interested in what had happened to Joey Kramer. Just one of those things that sort of popped into my head one day. What actually happened to that kid? Because I'm only aware of him being in that one movie, uh, although he did do things before and things after. But that's the thing he's very, very famous for. And this is years ago. I started just looking online to find out what had happened to him. And there wasn't a lot of information. But what I found was not particularly heartening. It was that he'd had issues with drugs uh, and that he'd had all kinds of other problems and that um, he was sort of persona non grata uh, from where he was from. And then as these things go, I, I looked him up every now and again. And then one day I found out that he'd robbed a bank and was in prison. And so then I knew what was at least going on. And then I discovered that he was on Facebook because he was part of a documentary called Life After the Navigator. This is about two and a half years ago. Um, so I sent him a message on Facebook asking him whether he would be willing to talk to me. And he said yes when the time is right and two and a half years later the time is right and yeah. so we had our conversation yeah so you know well that's how long this uh, this episode has been in gest gestation I yes yeah. a long time really wow i i should say i was the first person to ask him for an interview and well he he, he stuck to his uh, stuck to his word and... i know he's a really nice guy i'm, I'm yeah. very grateful that he was willing to talk to me actually you know i, I suppose our, our listeners are not tuned in to listen to me uh, you're chatting to you they, they want to hear you chat to joey so without further ado here is the interview so, Joey Kramer, welcome to the Film 89 podcast. Thank you for coming and talking to me. Hello, Stephen. Thank you for having me. It's, I'm incredibly excited about this. I know You know this because I communicated with you quite some time ago that uh, Flight of the Navigator is one of my favorite sort of childhood movies. I, I don't want to sort of go on about this too much too soon, but it's just it's been so nice to, to see you back and to to watch the documentary uh, Life After the Navigator, which is just very moving and, and beautiful. And I'm just, you know, so glad that someone found you and, and made it. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that. You never know how things are going to be received and especially something like this that's so dear to uh, all our hearts, like me and Lisa and Ash and, and uh, everyone involved in making it. So it's really nice to hear. I read that wonderful review that you that you wrote, and I really appreciate that. It it uh, it makes it all all worthwhile, and um, I'm really glad because I have had some some fans reach out about the trailer and things like that, and just how it encourages them in their lives, and and then also just just share, sharing that the aspect that we're all uh, we're all people living our lives, and and uh, and there's always challenges, but we can overcome. <laughs> mm. um just to give our listeners some cl uh, some clues because uh 
obviously the documentary is very new. People haven't probably heard from you for quite some quite some time. What what is the documentary actually about? Well, it's um it's a couple of things actually. It's it's a real celebration of the film and a lot of really cool behind the scenes aspects of getting the film made, how it came to fruition, how um and the uh, the cutting edge uh, computer uh, stuff that was going on in it, and just the vision of of Randall to do this sci-fi movie, and it had always been a passion of his and something he wanted to do. So, yeah, and and then at the same time, it's kind of that what what happened to the Joey Kramer, right? The mm. because up until then, my childhood career had kind of been progressing and somewhat quickly I started in commercials I I mean I started in plays and then commercials at around eight or nine and Mm. my first feature role when I was 10 and then it kind of progressed so after Navigator I did do a couple other things but I then I just kind of disappeared from the limelight and no yeah so it's it's a bit of a a story about that and then also um because of the trouble that I had gone into and the arrest and everything, uh, there was obviously social media coverage about that and mm-hmm. child star, you know, Rob's bank and what and what happened there and um, how someone could go from from being a you know a child star to then uh, a criminal or or and so it's uh, it's a really candid look my uh, heart from my point of view of what actually happened there and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a chance to uh, yeah to share share that and <laughs> yes yeah and and have you have you gotten used to the idea that people are going to know all of these things about you now that were that were hidden from view for such a long time because as a fan of the movie i had no idea what had happened to you and a few years ago i just started digging on the internet and found out that life had been very difficult for you yeah. uh, f- following the movie it, does it feel weird to you to know that people are now going to sort of know the full the full story of your your life after the navigator well it's um it's a feeling yeah <laughs> i'm not sure how to, i'm not sure how to put my my finger on it necessarily mm. um i know when lisa reached out to me i was still incarcerated i was still in the prison here in bc and um she wrote me and, and had this idea for the documentary and i just thought wow wouldn't that be a wonderful a wonderful way to to kind of you know shoot my my life after being incarcerated into a into a positive trajectory and in in because I had actually done I mean well you'll find out but part of the the thing that I did was once I was incarcerated I utilized that time for positive stuff I mm. I meditated I read I did yoga I really I um, connected with my daughter and. Uh, drew her pictures, things like this. So I really utilized it as a positive experience, I, um, mm. as uh, as challenging as that is. But you can either, <laughs> yeah, you can either be locked up in and and feel like it, you have nowhere to go, or you can, as I did, I, I utilized it as a, a way to really focus on myself and and kind of figure out what had been going on with me and and mm. what I wanted to change. Mm. Um, so that's that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's very it's very hard to comprehend for for someone who's never been a you know a sort of child superstar to comprehend how you get from one to the other. It's it's hard for someone who's led a, a more conventional life to really comprehend such a such an extraordinary trajectory that your life actually took. It, to to kind of finalize that quite the last question mm. was is that. By what I realized was once I started to put myself out there and once I started to share those dark experiences or my maybe my guilt and my shame around things that I had done and the life I had uh, lived through, the response and the encouragement and support was so overwhelming mm. that it made it easy for me to put myself out there. Mm. Also, I think of stories I've heard about, you know, regular white collar families who have all of a sudden lost a job or and and lost their homes and become homeless just literally overnight and so i think there's thousands probably of those kind of stories that maybe they didn't um uh fall into drug addiction or criminal behavior but mm. they've had their you know people all over have had their lives upturned just like that just and it's heartbreaking and and also amazing the way that that things can just 
can turn on a dime. Mm. I think another aspect is mental health and stuff. For so many years, it's been kind of swept under the rug and not a lot of attention paid to it. And mm. a lot of people struggling with anxiety, depression, you know, stress. I mean, stress is a, <laughs> it's a total killer. And, yeah. and so I think that what I've started to realize is that by sharing my story that other people can relate, even if it's not to the extremities or the same exact path that's happened to me, that, uh, that it can happen to anyone. And also through my journey and learning to overcome and to reach out and ask for help, it's, mm. it's kind of, uh, it encourages other people to do the same. Mm. And, and so that's really, really inspiring for me. And again, I just, I wish everyone, yeah, can, <laughs> can overcome or reach out and ask for help, share their, share their stuff. So mm. Yes, because I mean, your life was obviously incredibly difficult and traumatic. And so I suppose that the message that I took from the movie is no matter where you are, you anyone can fall. But at the same time, sort of no matter how low you go, you can always come back again. There's no hopelessness. Ultimately, I don't know whether that's what you think. I agree. I think that um, I, it's challenging. It's mm. challenging because I know for for from experience that once you're kind of in a negative headspace. Mm. Uh, I spent many years just with this negative self-talk and, and telling myself that I wasn't worthy or I uh, was no good and I was a bad person and all these things. And so, or I had failed my family, I had failed my friends, I had failed myself. And and that can be really debilitating for for someone, right? For mm. for their spirit, for my for my spirit, for my psyche, for my mental health, for my emotional, you know, all those things. And and it's easy to kind of get caught in this cyclone of ne negativity. Um, mm. And and I could see that for you know for so breaking well breaking through those negative patterns is it can be challenging and um but it is it is possible and i i truly believe that our minds and our hearts are so powerful that once we can focus them in in other directions it's that old saying that whether you can or you can't you're right both ways yeah like when i thought that i couldn't achieve anything when i thought mm. that i wasn't good enough it was true for me but mm. once I started thinking, you know what, I can do this. I am a good person. I am full of love and I have things to offer the world. Mm. My life started to change and I started to uh, believe that. And I started to see results from, from that, from sharing those things and from believing in myself that I'm not the person I was uh, four and a half years ago when I, mm. when I robbed that bank, right? I'm not that person I was when I was on drugs and homeless and, and living that life. I'm, I'm not that person. And mm. regardless of those things that I had done as well, underneath all of that, the addiction and the negative self-talk, I was still a good person person and still mm. just that little boy that kind of lost his way way back when so way back when yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, were you ever tempted to say no to, to lisa the director when she approached you because it's a very brave thing to come out of what i don't know whether you see it this way but almost come out of hiding because you, you you know there's such a famous film and and no one really knew what happened to you and and obviously it, they weren't good things to actually sort of come out of the shadows and and and, and talk about what had happened were you, were you tempted just to say, no, I, I like not being in the limelight. I, I want to stay a private hidden person. You know, I think that as soon as she wrote me, like she wrote me regular mail and, and from the letter that was written, I just like sparked something. And it mm. really, I never, but I don't think I ever would have said no. There was points when I thought, oh, it might not come to fruition. It might, mm -hmm. we might. It might not happen because I, I I'd actually had people reach out to me over the years wanting to do little things that, and I was like okay that sounds interesting and then they kind of fizzled out it never mm. uh, it never happened so but this was such an amazing spark and connection right from the beginning and again I think because of all of the work that I had done and been doing and the journey that like the the path that I had started to set myself on, this opportunity to for this documentary and to share my story and to share mm -hmm. parts of, of it was just what I needed. So I felt so grateful and blessed and excited and also completely nervous and scared mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to actually dive into this stuff. But it's it's had nothing but uh, but a positive effect and and really 
encouraging, I think, for for me, for Lisa, and for anyone who's gotten close to it. So <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a a hell of a documentary. It, it's very very moving, and I I would recommend anyone who's a fan of Flight of the Navigator. It's actually it's essential viewing. You if you like Flight of the Navigator and you want to know more about uh, Joey Kramer, you have to watch it. I I thought it was magnificent. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, how do you feel when you watch it? By the way, you know I I just realized. I don't think I've actually seen the final, final edit yeah. cut. Yeah. yeah, I was going to talk to Lisa about that, but mm. um, watching it uh, progress, like from the very first rough edit, and then seeing some tweaks, and then mm. seeing some tweaks, it's almost like people say, "What? What's that like when you watch Flight of the Navigator? It's a movie, and you're in it the whole mm. time." With Flight of the Navigator, whenever I would watch it, I would just get wrapped up in the story, yeah, and get and get caught up in the in the film and 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 enjoy it. I could somewhat watch it from from an outside perspective, and in ways, uh, I think that's happened with the documentary as well. I've it has Lisa's done an amazing job. Mm. I mean, it has this really nice flow to it. It's a celebration of the film, and then also you know, a look at, at me and, and my journey and my progression. And I think that even people who, who aren't navigator fans would mm-hmm. be able to get something from it and see, and see something valuable and, and, and enjoy it. So. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great human, human story. So I have to talk to you about Flight of the Navigator. I would be, it, yes. it would be unforgivable not to talk to you about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I, I was very interested because I've sort of geeked out. I bought the uh, the 4K Blu-ray of the of the movie, watched it morning. It's just beautiful and pristine, and uh, and it probably looks better than it did actually when it was when it was new, it, it really is, is incredible. Um, but looking at all the extras and all, and this information is also, I think in uh, life after the navigator, there were some quite famous people that were up for your role. Uh, Chris O'Donnell was up for the role. Joaquin Phoenix was up for the role. Uh, why, why are you better than them? What? <laughs> oh, well, I don't, I, I definitely wouldn't say that I'm better than them. I think, when it comes down to auditioning and when it comes out to picking roles, that's something that actors have to learn right away is that 99% of the time it has nothing to do with us personally. It's just a choice of a look or a style that the director or the producers want for the film. Mm. And again, it does, it does tap into the fact there that uh, they wanted someone who was just kind of natural had come off the, wasn't, formally trained, had just kind of had this natural ability. And that was something I was fortunate, uh, fortunate enough to have as, as a child. I, I just fell into acting. It was something I, I loved to do. Even before I got onto stage, I, you know, I would act out parts from Oliver. I wanted to be the Artful Dodger growing up and mm. singing the songs from Oliver and, and from different musicals. And then Grease, I was a huge Grease fan, yeah. which very interesting because I used to I would be I had a shirt with a big John Travolta bust on it and I would be in the living room singing Go Grease Lightning and and it just came naturally to to perform I had a really good memory I could memorize things I could sing a bit stuff like that so I think that's where that had to have been it and when Randall and I met I think we uh we just really clicked as well yeah because he he says that you're able to cry on cue uh that was a big big part of it in it certainly in the documentary and i'm curious do because you, you had let's say an unconventional upbringing yeah <laughs> and an upbringing with some trauma in it which is obviously described in, in the documentary but do you think that that created a kind of vulnerability in you that you were able to bring out when the cameras were rolling that's a that's a hard one but i i mm. don't think that it's directly anything to do with my upbringing i was brought up um by my wonderful mom. Mm. I mean, single mom, you know, only child. So I grew up very open and sensitive. And But I think it was just something that, that was natural to me as a mm. as a person. We're all born with different ways of, of being kind of in the world. Like, right, some people are more closed off, some people are more gregarious. And I never, I also grew up very, it was okay for me to cry, it was okay for me to be emotional, it was okay for me to feel stuff. Mm. Uh, I didn't have a lot of um, 
you know, kids back then maybe had a, a dad who was more tough or, oh, boys don't cry, right? And even though I did play a lot of sports and stuff, I didn't, it was always encouraging. I never had that. I never had to hide my emotions. So, yeah. and I'm grateful for it now because I know, I, you know, I've had a, a lot of friends who just, they can't cry, right? They're, they put on a front, but that stuff also can, uh, it's, it's healthy to feel our emotions. It is, just, yeah. it is right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and more and more we're learning, right, that, that it's good to feel those things and it's good to express those things. Um, mm. You know, I think of like the toxic masculinity and stuff like that, where we just, people are bred or learned or trained and conditioned to, to not feel and to not be emotional and and that mm. stuff ends up eating you up inside. So mm. I always uh, was able to express myself. And then it just, it just happened. Yeah. yeah. And I remember immersing myself in, in that world and mm. uh, literally feeling like what's going on here. Right. I, my mm. little brother is older and yeah, I'm running into my house and there's these strange people in it. And I just, I just got wrapped up in the world and did it. I wanted to ask you about that, actually, because the the practical effects are brilliant. It really stands up. And I think it's because it's the mixture of digital effects, which were in their infancy and practical effects, almost magic, magic show type effects. Mm-hmm. Um, did that make it feel as if it was all really happening when you were sort of sitting in that spaceship? Did it feel like it was all really going on? It really did. I, I think that's a huge benefit for mm-hmm. um, for making movies at that time was they still build sets now, yeah. right? They still do, although a lot of it, it's uh, CGI and it's just kind of green screen in the background. So you have to have much more of an imagination, which can be a benefit to an actor as well. You have to really create this world in your mind and live it. Though at the time, yeah, having those sets and having the creatures actually moving even though i knew they were puppets it was Mm. still they were still right there and uh and i could reach out and touch them it wasn't a a green tennis ball or (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) they were actually there and um and having you know tony um urbano the puppeteer behind this like controlling the eye controlling max and actually talking to me and things like that it was uh it made it really easy and i mean the spaceship was incredible too right like it, Mm. it actually it, it did all that stuff so yeah yeah you say in the documentary that you wanted to sort of take it home and build it in your garage i did <laughs> i did <laughs> yeah that yeah. would have been yeah that would have been incredible for sure yeah, it, yeah absolutely it's a sort of childhood uh, dream and that's what you know one of the major factors in i think the, the film's appeal is you any young person watching the film wants to climb in that spaceship and go flying away it's wonderful I wanted to ask, what, what were your favorite scenes to perform in Flight of the Navigator? What, what were the most enjoyable scenes for you? Well, I really liked Al's Gator City. Yeah. Right? That yeah. was fun. We were on mm. Burt Reynolds Ranch. Yeah. And uh, that was a neat scene. I mean, I think the, the ones where I'm actually in the big fiberglass spaceship were really mm. fun. I literally remember enjoying all of it. It was so, it was great. I have to say that the scene in the hospital yes where i'm get really emotional mm. when i watch that i i literally i make myself cry like i i just i remember it just really again it's it's a part where i watch it from the outside and i go david like he's so he's he's like mom what happened to you you know i want to go home and yeah and i remember that scene it was uh it was hard. We were inside and there was a lot of lights and I remember it getting hot, but it was like this, everything, those hospital scenes really flowed naturally. And, and uh, the ones between me and Matt Adler, right. Mm. Older Jeff were really great as well. Where I'm like, you you know, you think I'm crazy and just these tender moments. Mm. I I really, I remember them and and they were great. And Mm. I I mean, I could go on and on because again, this, the parts in NASA with, uh, with Sarah Jessica Parker, Carolyn Adams character, they were so fun. She was a brilliant actress uh, even back then and, Mm. and made it so fun. And we're like, Oh yeah, what's, what's going to happen? They're, they're going to lock me. They're going to keep me here forever and and all this stuff. But uh, there are so many elements. I, it's funny now that we're re- reflecting on it and realizing mm. that, that there were so many moments of the film that were just magical mm. and, and really uh, stick strong in my memory. So, 
Does it all seem very vivid to you, even all these years later? Is it? I mean, because it's such a bizarre thing for a person to go through. It's not, you know, not anyone's normal experience is to be the the lead actor in a sort of pretty big special effects movie. Yeah, I mean, it is very vivid, and I I get I did some uh, films after that I don't remember as strongly um, mm. for whatever reasons. And I, I, I start to wonder, I go, oh, I wonder if I had stayed in film mm. and done movie after movie or progressed, if I would have as strong an emotional and, and mental like attachment to Navigator. Yeah. Though, I mean, we can never go back, so we'll never know. But, no, no, no. <laughs> but I also, I think that it was really special in, in the heart of the film, the heart of the people who were involved in it. Uh, it really, it turned it was something special. And I think that's part of the reason why it's uh, held up after all these years and why people mm. still love it. It's really special to be involved yeah. in something like that. Yeah. Cause all the people associated with it do. And, and people who did continue to have careers like, you know, Veronica Cartwright, Cliff DeYoung, Randall Kleiser, they do seem to hold it in high esteem and sort of hold it dear to their hearts. So I think, it, yeah, it is a, it is a special one. It's another question I have to ask you. Um, yeah. what, what are your memories of working with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker? in what was I think her first movie yeah I think it might have I think it might have been I'm not 100% we can't quote me on that but I think mm. it was one of her first definitely mm. um I kind of just touched on it but uh it was we were we were really there I was this little boy who was stuck in NASA and she mm. was like you know the little bit older and and you know and told me I was cute and all this yeah. stuff so, like the the Carolyn McAdams but again it was this it was these characters that I really remember, um, right? David and and this this Carolyn girl being nice to him and helping mm. him out, going to see his parents and get him out, you know, try and get him out of NASA and save him and things like that. So, yeah, she made she made it really easy. That's for sure. You have real chemistry in the movie. I got to say, there's a certain, think, something there between you. Well, I thought I, it was it was really natural. It flowed yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> I wanted to ask you as well what what Randall Kleiser was like as a director because he he has I'm sure a lot of it was just your your natural instincts but he's certainly drawn a wonderful very subtle performance out of you uh, and obviously you you must have been enamored of him because of Greece um, what what was he like as a man and as a as a as a director to work with you know I. I don't think I knew that he did Greece until later. Right. <laughs> so it wasn't like I was, you know, starstruck yeah. at, at, at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, had Olivia and, and John come onto the set and done a dance, I might have, you know, blown my top. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but it, it, I think it was later that was really special to me that I realized that Randall had, had directed Greece and, and that just blew my mind now. I'm, I mentioned that we just had a connection. He was always very, like, so, I don't know, gentle, professional. Like, mm. just, he really had a way of, of just drawing what he needed out of me in a, in a subtle, a subtle way. And even for the, for the screen test, I, I, I remember him saying, you know, caged animal, right? Mm. For the, for where I'm stuck underwater and does this thing leak? Right. I, you know, I do not leak, you leak. Mm. navigator and so that made it really easy for me okay i'm i'm a caged animal right and mm. so little subtle things like that uh, brought out it wasn't like oh you're stuck underwater you might drown right it was um he had a real way of of bringing stuff out and and then the emotional scenes um the first one where i come home and and yeah. house has changed and all that stuff i i remember kind of he was like well think of something sad or that's upset it right and uh and then think of david and how and how he would feel right if he came came home and and we just did it and i remember after the scene i had uh i kind of couldn't stop crying because i i realized i started thinking about my friends and about how much i missed them and but he was so encouraging and i think my mom was there at that time as well so it wasn't like oh the scene's over stop crying it was like he really let me feel my feel my emotions and feel safe uh, to 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 do that. Mm. So we 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 were, we just really had fun with it. I think. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like you're a sort of repressed song and dance man as well. You 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 love the musicals. I I do I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I really do. Yeah, I've always wanted to do a musical. I uh, 
I'd have to, I, cause I can sing pretty good. I'd have to, uh, I'd have to do some training to, to get, find my pocket, my, my pocket, but, uh, mm. but I would love to do a musical someday. Yeah. Yeah. You, you sing some very lovely songs in the documentary. Oh, thank you. Your own, your own compositions. Yeah. Were you, when you were making Flies the Navigator, did you know what a big deal it was that you were in this movie? And, and, and did you think that that's how life would continue from, from there on in? Did you expect to live this kind of make-believe life? No, I, my mom and I had always looked at acting as a, as a fun experience, as mm. an opportunity to do something. You never know how long it's going to last. You never know where it's going to take you. And so just to enjoy the moments as they come. Mm. Um, to not expect anything, just to really have fun and, and enjoy it because it's an experience. That's how I started out when I got asked to be in this play out at the university here. She was like, do you want to do it? And it could be fun, right? You'll just, mm. who knows? And and I did it and loved it and, and it was great. And, and that's how I always looked at auditions, how I always looked at parts was it was fun experience. And I never looked at it as if, oh, I, what if I don't get this part, right? Uh, my life is over. Or, oh, I don't have a career. Because uh, I, I didn't ever look at it as a career. Um, mm. It just was, I was a lucky kid and I was able to do this thing and, and have fun and be in these, these worlds and make believe and pretend and then kind of go home and be a normal kid again. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. But, but it does seem as if you made a decision not that like you'd been saying yes all the time and then you just sort of started saying no is that is that is that why your career as an actor in your childhood stopped that you just stopped saying yes to things i think so after navigator of course things blew up uh, mm. there was all sorts of offers and scripts and the the next film i did stone fox was it was cool it was a period piece there was dog sleds there was horses it was uh, completely different like almost polar opposites from sci-fi futuristic right to then mm. old time and um after that like i had basically been acting in and out of school and stuff since about you know, eight or 10 years old in commercials and movies, TV, it just, mm. and there came a point where it started to get a bit overwhelming. I'd been, you know, asked to move to Los Angeles and, and maybe be part, part of the, you know, the Star Trek series and things like that. So the Wesley Crusher role and, but that was like this extended contracts. And I went, well, isn't what I'm supposed to do supposed is to like finish high school and be a normal kid. Mm. So that's, that was kind of my plan was, well, why don't we just stop? I'll finish high school and then get back into acting after I finish school. Cause that's mm. kind of what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. And then things didn't didn't go that way because I ended up uh, having a hard time in school and um, not really fitting in because I hadn't grown up. Uh, those those younger years, eight to thirteen, are pretty fundamental for growing into a young adult and into a teen and learning how to navigate uh, social norms in in school and transitions and friends and all that. And and I uh, I didn't fit in and I was. I was teased and bullied and things like that. And then I got into, you know, drugs and alcohol at a young age. And, and before I knew it, high school was, <laughs> didn't turn out the way that I wanted. So by, by that, then, then once I had finished high school and everything, I just, uh, I didn't have that same passion and spark because I, it had been numbed by the kind of uh, hard experiences that I had. Mm. So when I thought of getting back into acting, instead of being excited and I was like, oh, I, I don't know if I could do it anymore. I didn't have the same confidence. I didn't have the same joy and, and love that, that was there as a younger child. Yeah, that, that's heart, heartlessness. Yeah, just life happened and, and, uh, and it went the way it did. But, uh, but what's great is I do have that joy and that love and that passion now. Yeah, it's obvious. <laughs> so it's obvious. It's, it's never too late to be who you might have been and no. it's never too late to live your dreams. That's yeah. again, the message I think is really important that yeah. uh, you know, I turned 47 this year, but I sure don't feel like it. And I'm yeah, really, you don't look it either. Oh, I've got to say. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And actually it's funny. I'm in a small indie film and I'm, I'm all scruffy because I got a part as kind of a, a creepy sociopath boyfriend. Right. <laughs> a little. <laughs> so, but it's, uh, it'll be neat to do that. But yeah. 
That's I think that's what happens to all child actors when they come back. They end up having to play sociopaths. That 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 seems to be a thing. <laughs> that's like the gateway role back. You know, the the gateway back in. Uh, right. Oh, that's it's very sad um, that that you you weren't able to you know to to sort of follow that the plan that you originally had. Do you mind me asking how how young were you when when you started taking drugs? Are, are you comfortable sort of talk, talking about that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's something that you know, my poor mom, I she didn't really have a clue. I hid it. I hid it from her, and I first smoked weed in elementary school, like in grade six or seven, I think. Yeah. And then in my grades eight and nine, uh, so that would be th- 13, 14, 15, mm. I, started, I got into alcohol and um, yeah, and heavier, heavier drugs. I ended up getting into cocaine at like 14 or mm. 15. Mm. Yeah. And before I knew it, those teen years were just kind of swept up because I didn't even really know what I was getting myself into. I didn't, before I knew it, I was basically hooked on it and it was turned into a lifestyle and Mm. yeah it was it was it was a roller coaster it was a roller coaster for sure you actually ended up homeless for for a while yeah that was later see because also i so i got into drugs young then i ended up quitting at 20 i was about 20 and i quit for 10 years almost 11 years uh i still you know i drank every once in a while I, i still smoked pot sometimes things like that but i didn't do any any hard drugs and stuff till the end of that. So in my early 30s, I was bartending a lot and I started to kind of do other stuff, ecstasy and things like that. And then I was at a party and there was some coke around and I, I did some. I'm like, oh, it's been 10 years. I'm a different person. And mm. yeah, what I, what I found was all of that. All of the trauma that built up in my younger years hadn't really been dealt with. Um, mm. And so once I picked up those drugs again, it just all of those emotions and that guilt and shame of my younger, you know, years uh, mm. all came to the surface. And mm. I think that's the biggest difference now is that I've dealt with my underlying issues and, and, and stuff. So I have no desire to go back to, to that. I don't need to be altered because <laughs> I don't need to numb myself. I'm I'm happy with who I am, and That's I can wonderful. I can I can sleep soundly. I can you know when I sit and and just look out the window, and my mind's not going. Oh, what about this? What about that? What about this? It, it's I just go. Oh, it's a beautiful day, right? And mm-hmm. oh, I feel good. And, and, and was there a point where you didn't like Flight of the Navigator that you wished it hadn't happened, or that you were embarrassed by it, or you hid it from people, or, or you know, were you always kind of open with people about who you are and what, what you'd done? I th- there were some times I remember where someone would recognize me and and I would say, oh no, it's a twin brother, or oh no, you've got me mixed up with someone else. Mm. Um, and I only think that's because one thing it was like that. Well, because in my in my younger years at high school, it was like, oh, conceited child star, mm. um, movie star kid. So I didn't want it to be like, oh, yeah, I'm that movie star. So you you better like me kind yeah. of thing. I So I would shy away from from taking the, the credit. And then also there were there were parts of me where I was ashamed of of uh, what had happened in my life. So I didn't want to taint the movie or something. Mm. want to be like oh yeah it's another childhood star who's turned to drugs and alcohol or ruined his life or whatever so yeah I I don't think that was very often and then and then later I would run into people and and see the joy in their faces and it was it made it all uh yeah then it lifted my spirits and I Mm. went hey this can be a positive thing this can be a a good thing so Mm. And now it totally is. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, one of the things I like most about the documentary is is your clear excitement about talking about the film and talking to fans and recounting memories. It, it, it looks like you haven't talked about that stuff for a while and you just seem really, really excited and happy to, to, to talk about it. Well, I, I am. And I've been asked in other, um, you know, in other chats or interviews, like, do, do you get tired of answering the same questions or, mm. or things? And I go, no, because what's great is that it's all new to the person I'm talking with, or it's all new to someone who's watching. And and, and I know that they're getting joy from it. And, and from that, I get joy. And I'm so grateful. I, I Having done that Comic-Con and 
you know, meeting people and stuff. I just, I was working on a commercial because I do PA work production system mm. on commercials now. And I met one of the, one of the guys there and he was like, you're a navigator. He's said that, that movie literally changed my life. I was mm. a young boy and I went, it blew up my world. He told me this amazing story about how it changed his perspective on life. And he felt like he could accomplish and do anything and, mm. and reach for the stars and live his dreams and all this stuff. And, and so when I hear these stories and I've heard numerous ones, amazing ones about, you know, people watching it with their, their siblings who have since passed and they have these amazing memories of, of uh, you know, this family connection through the film or, or it's helped people through uh, challenges in their childhood and felt like they were a part of and they could relate to David. Like these stories go on and on and it's like a universal thing of, of what a, I don't know, just how Navigator was a catalyst in a lot of people's lives in such a positive way. So mm. that's why I get so excited and I feel so humbled and, and honored to, to be part of that. And so when I can talk to someone and bring their childhood back or make mm -hmm. their childhood dream come true by having a chat or by connecting, and that's what life is all about is uh, we, you know, we forget our imagination sometimes grow up and... Mm the stress of life comes in and we forget to just enjoy and, and live in those moments of happiness and, and mm. light and, and fun. And, and and what was it like meeting uh, Randall Kleiser again and, and Veronica Cartwright and, and Clifton Young? Because there's a wonderful uh, reunion, which is another aspect of the, uh, of the documentary. W were you, were you nervous when you were going to encounter them um, for probably for the first time in a long, long, long time? Yeah, I Lisa had mentioned we might be having a bit of a reunion. We weren't mm. sure who was going to show up. And I think that part was more nerve-wracking to me as I went, oh, what if nobody shows up? What yeah. if nobody wants to be a part of it? Mm. Um, and so when people came and, and there was this support and encouragement for uh, who I was now and not who I had been or not there was no um real negatives about it and to see people come and be be a part of that was so uh heartwarming like it just I almost burst it was incredible yeah it's, be it's beautiful uh, yeah I, I just felt I was so so grateful to Randall for putting that together and so grateful for everyone to come and again it made me realize that this was a really powerful thing that we were doing really special uh, I didn't realize that Randall had actually arranged the reunion. That, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah, he was instrumental in that. He said, "Hey, let's do this." And that's that's nice. And w when I was researching you before you b before you sort of re you know reemerged, as it were, there was a rumor that you'd been in a film called "It's My Party." Is that true, or is that just one of those internet rumors? Uh, no, no, that was I was like a party goer background. Mm -hmm. uh, I did some stand in work and uh, helped Randall a bit, but just uh, driving and things behind the scenes. So mm. uh, that was really neat. I moved I had moved down to, to California for a bit of a change. And I was mm. living with my cousins and reconnected with Randall and and uh, had that opportunity to I remember he actually gave me an audition for a part, which I bombed completely. Right. <laughs> I, re I remember I'm just like oh my gosh you know I uh now that I've done some some training and in, in craft and in acting and audition and and just really come into myself I realized the the mistakes but I hadn't auditioned in years and years mm -hmm. and years and I really again I was still a little bit hesitant of self at that point I hadn't I mean I was in my mid-20s mm. But uh, but it was it was amazing to get to work with him again and see him again and I mean the cast on that movie was just incredible brilliant yeah was, uh, I mean amazing brilliant actors all over I got to meet my childhood dream of Olivia Newton John right and she, she uh, dropped by she was in it she was in it's my party oh I, it's one of those things I've, I've had not a great deal of time to prepare for this so i haven't watched it i didn't know that that's that's incredible yeah. i mean george siegel bronson pinchot Le right. Lee grant like just the the list goes on it it was incredible yeah uh eric roberts mm. uh we really hit it i was his stand-in for for a lot of it so we we hit it off there and oh man it was just yeah there was so many people in it it was incredible Oh wow, what an extraordinary experience. Yeah. So how so you've you've returned to acting? 
Yes, I uh, since uh, so since I was released and I um, live in Nanaimo now, and I uh, I connected with a wonderful little studio here, Spotlight Academy, and started just started classes. I it was it was one of those things. Am I can I actually act? Can I can I pull it off? And so I've just been slowly progressing and and uh, taking as many workshops as I can and and really doing it. And I progressed into some more advanced classes, and now I'm in a another class focused on auditions and callbacks and the whole zoom aspect so yeah yeah i've been looking for an agent and nothing's panned out again uh mm -hmm. yet but it's back to that thing where i know it's not me because i have <laughs> i have friends uh who have you know just as much experience or we're on and they've they've got an agent so i know that the time will it'll happen when when it's time yeah and in the meantime i'm just uh learning as much of the craft as I can I realize there is so much to learn like as a child you just kind of fall into it and play the part and and and, and act act mm. the part as an adult actor there is it is a full-time job and there is so much analyzing research you know like script analysis just all these choices and and um, formulas for for figuring out character and stuff and it's fascinating I am mm. loving it so mm. Yeah, and there's a great little film community here in Nanaimo. They make short films, and so I've had the pleasure of being involved in a couple of those and, and uh, a couple more coming up. Yeah, mm. we'll, we'll see. Lovely, we'll lovely. See. I kind of have a five-year five -year plan to, you know, like a, maybe a one-year, three-year, five-year plan to get mm. back into it. But and, and have you found that you've been able to recapture what, what you had as a child? Uh, what, what do you think are the differences between a sort of ch a child actor and an adult actor well it goes back to as a child i think there's not as much expected like mm. that might be the wrong word but it you just kind of play the part and and as a kid we're we're imaginary as an adult i really have to make the the viewer believe that what's happening is happening mm. but i honestly feel it's something that i'm i'm meant to do and that i can connect to Mm. And especially because of all of the self-work that I've done, something mm. I've learned in classes is that a lot of acting is really about being grounded, about mm. knowing thyself, about self-awareness, and all of those techniques of meditation and mindfulness and things to become really grounded and really present in the moment. Mm. I've done a lot of that through my own journey of self-discovery. So I, I kind of have a, a one-up in, in a lot of ways, and I've mm. just been learning to really trust my instincts and and uh and believe in myself mm. and, and just go for it really just instead of playing the part it's being being completely natural yes what is it that you think saved you joey because i, I it, you know your your life could have gone it could have ended couldn't it really the, the way things were yeah. going what what saved you i'd have to say is it's my daughter yeah when, yeah when i found out i'd for whatever reasons and unfortunately i tried to get myself better and i tried to change my life you know for a girl or for my mom or for myself and i mm. just i just kept falling short once i found out i was going to be a dad it really changed everything for me there was someone someone in the world more important than myself there was mm. someone that I wanted to make proud, mm. be there for, and it really snapped my. It really snapped me out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I really believe that she was the catalyst, and she really, you know, gave my head a shake, and and I went, wow, okay, it's not just it's not just me anymore. And I I feel awful because my mom is a huge part of my life, and I I know I hurt her so much, and and put her through so much as well that I feel bad. I couldn't get out of it, you know, for, for us kind of thing. But mm. anyway, so, so once Selecta was born, then, and then a, a lot of it came down to me and myself and realizing that I'm not defined by the memories of me, that I'm not defined by my actions. Mm. I, today, I'm a good person. I've done yeah. some horrible things. I've done some just awful things and I, that I wish I could take back, but I can't. And, and I'm not the same person today. So mm. how did you get through those, those difficult years when you were out living outside? How did you survive? Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but it, when you're in that cycle of addiction or negative behavior, it just seems like it's the only way. 
Mm. I think most of the reason, most of the way I survived was by staying completely numb. Yeah. And just being mentally, chemically altered all the mm, time. Sure. Because if I wasn't, you know, high or drinking or whatever, I, the emotions would boil to the surface and it would be like, oh my God, what am I doing? What's happening? Mm. My life is completely like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> mm. So unfortunately, that's kind of how I pushed through mm. it was just by staying completely um, disconnected from, from myself. Yeah. And uh, I'm I'm glad to see you so well. Um, has your daughter seen Flight of the Navigator? No, she hasn't seen it yet. She's uh, six and a half. She's okay. more into Frozen. She's yeah. uh, Frozen and Dora and stuff. I, I think it would be neat to watch it with her sometime, though. I'm going to wait a couple years, I think. Yeah. I know I've sort of hit the amount of time that we're talking. So I, I really appreciate you talking to me, Joey. Uh, and I wish you all the best and continued success. And uh, again, I'd urge everyone to watch the documentary. It's, it's just a beautiful human story. And it's lovely to have you in the world uh, chatting with all us nerds on the internet and, and just uh, just being out there. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you very much. I thank really you. appreciate it. You take care, Joey. Okay. See you later, Navigator. Bye bye. Yeah. See you later, Navigator. I, I'm glad that you did it. I wanted to. <laughs> and we're back. Well, Stephen, what an amazing guy Joey is. I, I mean, he has hit absolute rock bottom just four years ago. And, you know, he served his time. He's made peace with his inner demons and he's really, you know, turned his life around. And his is just, you know, overall such an inspiring story. You know, he may have done some bad things, which is clearly apparent from when he goes into his recent life, uh, you know, in the documentary and when he was in the grips of terrible substance addiction. But having watched it now and heard the interview, you know, he really is anything but a bad person, isn't he? And, mm. and he's just a, such a, you know, a, a really great guy and so very humble and, and kind of given of his time and his experiences. And, and he just... You know, he just shows that no matter how low, how, how how much you hit rock bottom, you know, there is always hope, there is always light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful documentary, Life After the Navigator, and uh, it is in part a making of Flight of the Navigator. So if you're, a f you know, a fan of that movie and you want to find out some of the sort of technical aspects of the film, you should you should watch the documentary. Um, but it's also just a really lovely human story about somebody who very young was really near the top of the tree and then uh, had their life totally fall apart, really go about as low as you can go and still find their way back. Uh, as I say in my review, sort of recapture their soul, become the person that they were, they were meant to be. And uh, it's a really, a really hopeful message. And yes, he's a, just a really nice guy, a really positive guy and somebody who has worked through a lot of issues and has come out this out the other side healthy and happy. And yeah. it was just just lovely to talk to him. Yeah, well, you know, I, I watched the documentary, I think even before you'd recorded the interview, I mm. watched it about a week ago. And yeah, mm. it's, it's an hour and a half documentary. Anyone who's a fan of Flight of the Navigator, I absolutely just give him my highest recommendation mm. and you know even if you're only a passing fan of the film it, it's just joey's story is is absolutely fascinating mm. you know it it's at times heartbreaking and then you know coming out the other end incredibly moving and uplifting and hopeful and gotta be honest with Stephen. by the end i was uh i, I was blaming the dust in the room for you know, yeah it, it was uh, it was it nearly got to me it nearly got to me yeah. it is because he's so he's so open and so you know he's he's dealing with his problems so freshly on the camera yeah. that it that it's just just very moving indeed just to sort of give give props to the film director lisa downs who reached out to joey while he was in prison or perhaps he was in rehab at that point i'm, I'm not quite sure but but certainly certainly she she reached out to him sort of very early on and and forged a bond with him and made this wonderful film which you can find it on uh, the website lifeaftermovies.com forward slash life after the navigator and that's if you wanted to get a blu-ray copy of the film and then it's also available to rent or buy from the 9th of December on Amazon Video. And uh, I really genuinely would urge people to sort of take the time to, to find it and watch it. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be watching it again, Stephen. I think, you know, next time I'm going to, I'm going to watch it with my wife because um, I'm mm. sure she'll she'll really enjoy it. Massive thanks to Lisa, you know, for um, making this happen. Huge mm. thanks to, you know, to Joey for his time. Mm. He's just, as, as you know, you've heard from the interview, just such a really down-to-earth, nice guy. And there's just a great humility 
and, mm. and just decency to the guy. And Indeed. It, it, on paper, something like this could have come across as overly saccharine and preachy, but it didn't at all mm. because he's just, you know, he's not making light of anything that, uh, you know, he's done. He, he admits he's done some bad things. You know, he's, mm. he's, he's been in some awful places. But at the same time, you know, he takes responsibility for his actions and, you know, he's been just as much a part of his own rehabilitation as anything else. And, and mm. yeah, just... Absolutely fascinating, wonderful documentary. It was a fantastic interview, Stephen. Thank you so much, you know, for, for making this happen. And to all our listeners, I just hope you've enjoyed you know, this episode. It is a bit of a departure from the norm. You know, we have had interviews of this kind before. We hope to have a lot more soon. Uh, Stephen, uh, just before we wrap things up, where can people get hold of you on social media if you want to chat about Flight of the Navigator, the films of David Lean, or, or anything else? Well, really, there's only one place. Uh, I'm on Twitter, and it's uh, that SJ Saunders. So if anyone wants to follow me or, or send me a direct message or anything else, that's where you will find me. Fantastic. Okay, um, I just want to say a quick little shout-out. Big thank you to David Bond, who's... Um just just for a very nice email he, he sent the film 89 team this evening um, about our most recent episode about neil and richie's karate kid episode it was just really nice bit of feedback um you know we don't always um give a shout out on the podcast thanking people for all the correspondence we have we try to as much as we can but yeah that, that was a really nice one and from richie and neil they were incredibly touched and 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 are so glad that you liked the episode but if you uh, want to hit me up on twitter and facebook you can find me at sky movies you can find the rest of the film 89 team including including Stephen at Film89UK and at the website film89.co.uk. Please, if you've enjoyed this episode, give us a like, subscribe on whatever your podcast platform of choice is. If it is Apple Podcasts, please just find the time to give us uh, a positive review. If you could, it would mean a hell of a lot to us. But I think for now, all that's left to say is stay safe, stay happy, but most importantly, you stay classy.